Maybe some of you know this, but butter is easier to make when the cream is a little warm, like room temperature. So if you've been chilling the milk, which of course you have, you pull the pail out of its cold water bath and you carefully take the lid off so you don't drop any little bits of anything into the milk, and then you skim the cream. And if you're starting with like three or four gallons of milk, you can just do it with a measuring cup. You, you dip the cup into the cream, not too far, because you're just trying to get the top layer and you're also trying not to disturb the layers. You want to leave the milk at the bottom and take just the cream. So you gently pull the cup toward you across the surface, and then you, of course, put the cream in another container. And you do that again and again and again until you see streaks of blue in the cream. Like the cream is such a dense, opaque white that by, the, by comparison, the milk underneath it looks blue. And you might think, not that blue, but you would be wrong. You'd be surprised, you, you put the milk back to stay cold, but you leave the cream out on the counter to warm up a little bit. And if you're this kind of person, you take a little bit of the cream for your coffee or tea, and when it hits the hot drink, the fat in the butter creates, uh, the fat in the cream creates a slick across the surface, and the glob of cream kind of bobs for a second before it dissolves. Later, you know, you churn or shake the cream until it thickens and separates, and then the weight of the butter makes the container kind of uneven as the buttermilk splashes around thinly and the butter gets heavy. And later still, you rinse the butter again and again in cold water and you press out as much of the buttermilk as you can. This part always feels impossible and endless to me and also daunting because it's important. The more buttermilk you leave in the butter, the quicker it'll spoil. So then finally, after all that, pressed and folded onto itself and washed and patted, you've got butter. Like Vince said, uh, Bridget has become associated with house blessings, and that's how I met her in this prayer book that I use most regularly. Every February 1st, I remember, oh, right, it's St. Bridget's Day, and I bless the doorways in my house and the living room and the kitchen. And I didn't know much more about her than that, this practice that developed from her famous hospitality which was in evidence at the famous monastery that she founded at Kildare. And I knew that prayer, the, the poem that Vince read that's attributed to her. She would like them, in the version I know, to be cheerful in, the, in their drinking, all those people. She would like to have Jesus sitting here among them. She would like not just a lake of beer, but a great lake of beer for the King of Kings. And she'd like to watch all of Heaven's family drinking it forever. That's the version I know. So it's not to love, you know. But there were many other parts of her story that I didn't know until this year. I didn't know that she was born enslaved to a Christian woman and a Druid father who was a chieftain. That some stories say she was the first woman ordained a bishop. It was like kind of an accident, but once you like pray the words, you can't take them back. So I found out that she grew up working in a dairy, which once you know that her mother was enslaved, it's like an extremely naked euphemism. I found out that for her whole life, she had this inconvenient habit of giving things away. When she was a child living and working in that dairy, she gave away the butter. And the stories, of course, vary. One story has that she gave the butter away once, butter that her mother made to an old woman who knocked on the door in hopes of getting food. And Bridget had no food, but she had the butter, and she gave it and said, I hope you find some bread in your journeys to go with it. Or another story, is that she gave butter away all the time, not just from her own table, but from the stores of the And he knew that Bridget was at it again, giving away all the profits, 
all the labor, the heaviness of that butter walking away in the hands of non-customers, leaving him with skimmings. So finally, the farmer in this story called to her and told her to bring the big basket where they kept all of the butter, you know, lined with like a damp cloth and packed full of cold butter. And while she went to get the basket, they both knew that butter was gone. The basket was empty. But as Bridget went, she prayed, and she prayed against hope and against reason, and the basket, when she lifted it, was heavy. The farmer saw when she opened the lid that it was filled to the brim. Miracle. But butter isn't what people need, right? Like you can't actually make a meal out of butter. So not only was Bridget willy-nilly giving things away that wasn't things that weren't hers, the butter, by the way, was just the beginning of it. She was one of those saints who just gave away everything she touched. And there are many stories where someone would be like, Will you hold this jewel-encrusted sword for me? And like no one would do that if they knew her. But it happened all the time, and she gave all those things away. So she was giving things away without considering what people really needed or what was best for the system or how to organize and do something meaningful. Like a lot of saints, her miracles and her tendencies toward kindness just seem like inconvenient and scattershot. Like Okay, butter for the poor. There's no plan. There's no big picture. They're just things slipping through her fingers in the direction of the needy, whether they needed what she had or not. There are many places in the Bible where God throws a feast. Verses from the Bible that I considered preaching on this morning. Isaiah 25, where God throws, yes, Bridget, a, a big heavenly banquet that will be for all people. And God doesn't serve a bland but nourishing, just what you need meal. The menu in Isaiah is rich food and good wine. Or, or Psalm 104, when God gives to all life what is needed grass for cattle and plants for people, bread to strengthen the human heart, but also what is wanted wine to gladden the human heart, and oil to make the face shine. Meals like the ones that we talked about last week, when Jesus gave people not just enough to eat, but extra. Stories about God's people giving each other not just the basics, but the bounty. Abraham and Sarah welcoming strangers with what they call like, oh, just a little bread, but it's a meal made with the finest flowers and the best ingredients. And even though I looked through all of those feast stories and passages and verses this week, none of them are what stuck, even though they're about food. And here's Bridget, all dairy made with her sleeves pushed up in hospitality, even though those verses sound closest in spirit to her great lake of beer. What stuck instead, and I was fighting it, is this story that Vince and I come back to again and again, which is the story about Jesus' feet being anointed, or Jesus being anointed. In some places, it's feet. In some places, it's his head. But he's anointed with a costly perfume, very costly ointment. And the stories vary. Here, it's his head. There's feet. There's a jar, an alabaster jar that's broken open, and the extravagance of it poured out onto Jesus' body. His feet, his forehead, slick with the sheen of it. What a waste, the stories all say. What a waste. The woman who is in one version called Mary. Maybe she's one of Bridget's three Marys of great renown. The woman who blessed him had no vision, no plan. When such a little bit of planning would gone, have gone such a long way. I mean, the perfume sold, the money given, how wisely to the poor. Something they actually needed. Unlike Jesus sitting there with greasy feet or a shiny face or whatever, just soaking it all in. 
And in the stories, Jesus says to the haters who point out how wasteful it is, he tells them instead that what she has done is a service for him. Perform something that he did, in fact, need. Prepared his body for what was to come, and not in some practical, medicinal way, but in a relational, ritual way. She saw him, and she brought what she had access to. She followed her urge to act, to break the jar in a way that meant there was no going back. No going back for her, for the anointing, and no going back for Jesus himself. The blessing wasn't something scanty, and it wasn't something strictly necessary either. It was the good stuff. It was the fancy stuff. And in this little moment, a picture of a woman who had no big picture vision, we see an image of the world as God dreams it. People reaching out to each other with what they have access to, acting on their impulses toward love and gratitude and generosity, sharing not just merely, not just thinly, not just the skim milk, but the cream. There's a story in my family about my mother giving away an apple pie. It's when we were living in Michigan, and my brother and I were little kids, and it felt like people came to our door all the time. We lived in the parsonage next to the church, like Vince and his family do, and more than any other time in my life, it felt super regular for people to show up and ask for money or food. So it was normal when a young couple came to the door and asked for help. They were staying in a hotel, they said, so they were okay for shelter, but they needed food. And my mother, who has a lot of Bridget energy, packed up a grocery bag for them. Later, she remembered and focused on what she thought were the mistakes. I tucked in a roll of toilet paper, she said, but they're at a hotel, it's so silly. She worried that she had given them a can and maybe they didn't have a can opener. What my dad remembers most about this story is, in addition to the groceries, my mom gave them an apple pie she had just baked. Apple pies are like one of my mother's spiritual gifts. She makes an all-butter crust, and somehow her apples never turn mushy, and they never stay too crisp. She makes a crimp edge, you know, and she often decorates the top with a cute cutout of an apple. Classic apple pie. And she had just taken two out of the oven. So she sent this couple away with a bag of groceries and one of these pies. And from the time my dad got home that day, like truly almost 40 years ago, until today, he has not let her forget it. Rick, this is my mom, if Jesus came to your door, would you give him a pie? This is what I mean, like the Bridget energy, you know? Jesus loves me, he said. Jesus wouldn't have taken my pie. But I think Jesus would have taken the pie. I think he would have taken it right out from under my dad's nose if mom gave it to him. And then I think one of two things would have happened. Either Jesus would have eaten the pie right out of the pie plate and like left his fork sitting in the dish when he'd had as much as he wanted, still more pie than he needed, but you know, it's good. Or he would have given the pie to that couple. And he would have watched with my dad as the heavy pie walked away in the hands of somebody they didn't even know. Jesus wouldn't have cared what they did with it, if they finished it, or if they threw it away as soon as they got out of sight around the corner. Because Jesus would have wanted them to know that they deserved the apple pie, that they deserved more than just what they needed. They deserved the best. 
and the pie, it didn't solve their poverty or their homelessness or whatever else they had going on at all. It wasn't an organized, meaningful, systematic response. It was just what my mom had access to. And by giving it away, she did them and Jesus a great service. There's only one part in the house blessing in the prayer book that I balk at, and it's, it's where you bless the kitchen, because that's not how I would pray. I would want to bless the meals that I make for health and bless the time I spend there with friends, like hours a week. And instead, the Bridget blessing is all about welcoming the poor and the sick and the stranger and preparing for them a place in my own kitchen, food and drink and music. That's part of the blessing. Music in the kitchen, not just what's needed, not just the day in and day out, but the impulse to let the good stuff just run through your slippery fingers in a way that doesn't make sense. And that, however small a scene, however closely we zoom in on your kitchen or the table where Jesus was sitting dur during his anointing, that, that is, in fact, God's big picture. And it's God's medium-sized picture. It's, it's the plan and size and scope of this church and our kitchen tables, the places where we cook for the crib, the overnight shelter, and the place where we send out emails about a meeting and, and crack open a beer. Yes, thank you, Bridget, to share during an online social all of us showing up with our uneven impulses to act based on what we have, and God using it all to make miracles happen. To make this, in what are definitely not Bridget's words, a cheerful spot. And to let you and all those we meet know that, yes, Bridget, Jesus loves you too.